and ever the master teacher, Jesus takes time to instruct his disciples using several lessons. The first in verses 1 through 4 is he uses the lesson of the treasury. If you look at it there, it says, and he looked up and saw rich men casting in their gifts into the treasury, and he saw also a certain poor widow. So we see the people here. There are rich people who give, and there are poor people who give. By the way, some of the finest givers I have ever known have been people of limited means. And so you see the people, but really he deals with not only the people, but the percentage, doesn't he? If you look at verses 3 and 4, it says, And he said of a truth, I say unto you, This poor widow hath cast in more than they all, for all these have of their abundance cast into the offering of God, but she of her penury hath cast in all the living that she had. See, the, the, this is kind of like the, the story that you may have heard about the chicken and the pig as the farmer came out and uh, the farmer was kind of scratching his beard and he said, uh, he said I think we're going to have ham and eggs today. And the pig's eyes got about this big and the chicken said, well, that's fine with me. And the pig said to him, well, of course it's fine with you. He said, all you have to do is give an offering. I have to make a whole sacrifice. Amen. You know, I, I think about how blessed we are in America. And I think about not only the people and the percentage, but I think about the pleasing. That sometimes it's not what we give that pleases God, but is more based on what we keep. I've been there. There's been times where the Lord smote my heart to give a certain amount, Brother Lolly, and I kind of fought with him about it. You've been there. Don't look at me like visitors from heaven today. You've been there. Amen. You know. So he deals here with the, the lesson of the treasury, the people, and the percentage, and the pleasing. The, the giving that pleases God, again, is not measured by the amount that we give, but rather the amount that we have left. And then he moves from not only the lesson of the treasury to the lesson of the temple as they look and they say in some spake of the temple how it was adorned with goodly stones and gifts. It, they, they talked about its distinction, but Jesus told of its destruction in verse number 6. As for these things which you behold, the days will come in which there shall not be left one stone upon another. That would happen in 70 A.D. when the temple would be destroyed. And so the lesson of the, the temple, the lesson of the treasury, and then kind of where we move into our message today is the lesson of the times. You know, I, I love the fact, Brother Becker, that verse 7 is in the Bible. I, I love that. Because it says, and they asked him, saying, Master, but when shall these things be? And what sign will there be when these things shall come to pass? Man is always seeking a sign. 
It's always looking for that last time, and, 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 and it's just amazing. By the way, Jesus would answer that question after his resurrections, when, when, after his resurrection, when his disciples came to him in Acts chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, and they said, are you going to set up the kingdom now? Remember what he said? He said, it is not up to you to know the times and the seasons which the Lord hath put in his own hand. In, in essence, forgive me, parents, you've been there. And your kids ask you all question after question after question after question about stuff that really they don't have to know. You know we say? You're on a need-to-know basis, and right now, you don't need to know. Lesson of the times. Well, well, Jesus, of course, in talking about these times that would be before his return, not the rapture, but before his return when he would come and set up his kingdom, he says uh, some things. He warns them to beware, first of all, in verse 8, of deceivers. And he said, take heed that ye be not, what? Deceived. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ. You know, we think of those of you that have been alive long enough to remember. How many of you remember Jim Jones in Guyana? Hmm? Yeah. And David Koresh in Waco. These that claim to be Christ. I can tell you this. I had a man walk into my office about 11 years ago. He was walking from Parnell, if you know what I mean. And he came into my office and he intimated that I was to help him because he was Jesus Christ. And I escorted him out of my office. And he told me I was brutish. He said, the pastors will be brutish. I said, thank you very much. Have a good day. Be not deceived. Many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ. What's he say there? Further, he says, the time draweth near... Go ye not therefore after them. But then not only he warns of deceivers, he warns of wars in verses 9 and 10. But when ye shall hear of wars and commotions, be not terrified, for these things must first come to pass, but the end is not by and by. Then said he unto them, nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. Every time uh, there's a rumble in the world, people come and say, Pastor, is this, is this Armageddon? Listen, don't, don't worry about it. It happens all the time. Don't get so... Uh, some people get so looking for signs that they forget God wants us to be looking for souls. And so he, he warns them of deceivers. He warns them of wars. He, he warns them of cataclysmic events on the earth. He says there in verse 11, And great earthquakes shall be in divers places. Various places is what that means. And then he talks about famines and pestilences. And fearful sights. And great signs shall be from heaven. Again, if you know the book of Revelation, you know these things are going to come to pass before the return of the Lord. And then he says in verses, really verses 12 through 19, it's kind of where our, our focus is today. And we're going to draw a verse out of here. But he talks about betrayers. He talks about betrayers. But before all these things, they shall lay their hands on you. 
and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and into prisons, being brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. And then he says this, and it shall turn to you for a testimony. This is so interesting. In the midst of this lesson, Jesus declares that such betrayal by intolerant adversaries, and he would tell us that many times they're going to be even those of our own families. Did he say that down further? Listen, you're, you're, going, to be, you're going to be betrayed uh, there by uh, verse 16, by, both by parents and brethren and kinsfolks and friends. And somebody said, hey, blood's thicker than water. And in some cases, that's very true. Family, amen, I, I'm, I'm glad for family. But I want to tell you this, I'm glad in, in times like this that it's talking about for the family of God. We have the Holy Spirit. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. There will be those who are actual brothers and sisters who will betray us. And he, in the midst of this betrayal, he would give them, Jesus said, I'm, I'm going to give you an opportunity to testify of me before kings and rulers in the synagogues. And then he challenges them. This is so amazing to me, Brother Ewald, because I think of what I would do if, if I was going to be brought before somebody and have my theology tested. I would want to make sure I knew exactly what I was going to say. I, I've, I've been in he said, she said conversations before and, and you know, always like, did I really say that? I want to make sure. And he, sa he says, don't, don't even, forgive me, don't even think about it. He says, I'll give you what to say. Uh, if you know your Bible, you know in Luke chapter 12, verse 11, after they, they accused Jesus of being Beelzebub, he said to his people, he said, the Holy Ghost will give you an answer. And didn't that happen? Think about the Apostle Paul when he stood before Felix, the governor, and he stood before King Agrippa, and gave these masterful gospel presentations that were obviously of the Holy Ghost, not just Paul. The key verse today I want us to look at is what Jesus tells them in regards to not meditating there. It's in verse 14. He says this, Settle it, therefore, in your hearts not to meditate before what you said. That's the interpretation but I want to give you an application, if I could, today from this verse. And that is an application for dealing with doubts. I've been a Christian now for 20, 28 years. I got saved when I was 23 years old, 51 years old today. And not today, today's not my birthday, amen. It's Tommy's birthday, though. We need to sing to Tommy today. But I've been saved for 28 years. In all my Christian life, I have battled with doubts. You say, why? Well, I think about it this way. Doubt is the devil's oldest snare. Remember when God created the family? We're going to look at this in, in just a few weeks on our Honor Marriage Sunday. God created Adam out of the dust of the earth, and then he created Eve out of his rib, and he brought the two together. 
the very next chapter of the Word of God, it says, And the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God hath made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? You know what the answer to that is, ladies and gentlemen? Yes. He, he didn't say we could eat of all. Of, it was only, he said we can only not eat of one tree. And he cast doubt on the word of God. And I want to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. The devil's oldest snare works. Why use an, hey, fisherman, why use another lure if you got one that's pulling fish? I think about doubt is the devil's oldest snare. Secondly, just by way of introduction, doubt has afflicted many of God's people. If you're here today and you suffer with doubts, can I tell you this? You're not the only one, and all God's people said. Remember Abraham, the father of the faithful. In Genesis chapter 15, when he said to his servant Eliezer, you're going to be my son. Remember, God had promised him a son, but it hadn't happened. And then he took matters into his own hands with Sarah and Hagar, and Ishmael was born. God said, no, that's not what I meant. You know, we know where all that came from? Doubt. Hey, remember when God said to Sarah when she was 90, you're going to have a baby? And she went, ha, ha. What's that? Where'd the laugh come from? Doubt? Doubt? Oh, I think about David in Psalm chapter 13. How long, O oh Lord? How long? How long is this going to go on? Where does that come from? Doubt? You know, one of my favorite characters in the Bible is John the Baptist. I love John the Baptist. Comes right up to old Herod. Not lawful for you to have your brother's wife whom you killed to get her. But you know, John was in prison for a little while. And he sent a couple of his disciples to Jesus. And you know what they said to him? They came to Jesus and they said, John wants to know, it's in Matthew chapter 11, John wants to know if you're really him. You know what happened, Miss Judy? He'd been in prison for a, for a while and the devil had worked on him and worked on him and worked on him and said, is that really him? Is that really the Messiah, the one you pointed to and said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world? John suffered with doubt as he was at his lowest point. You know, Peter suffered with doubt. By the way, Peter was the only one in Matthew chapter 14 who stepped out of the boat. And the only one ever born a man and woman that walked on deep water. But then he looked around and he saw the wind boisterous and what, what flooded his soul? Doubt. And he began to doubt and he sunk, amen. And of course, the Lord Jesus pulled him out. Remember, remember Martha? Remember when Jesus said, roll away the stone? Lazarus had been dead. And she said, oh, he's been dead four days now, Lord. He stinks. What was that? Doubt? Doubt that Jesus could do it? I think about Thomas, doubting Thomas, right? He was the one that said, oh, except I see the prints of the nails in his, in his hands and the, 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 the spear mark in his side, I'll not believe. What's that? Just doubt. 
Remember the early church? One of the greatest examples, uh, I call it believing doubt, practical doubt. They were praying that God would release Peter from prison in Acts chapter 12. They're on their knees praying. A knock comes at the door. And you remember little Rhoda answered the door. And she opens, she's, she opens that little slot and it's Peter. And she runs in and says, says, hey, Peter's at the door. And they say, what are you, crazy? Hang on, we're praying that God will release Peter. Isn't that just like us, ladies and gentlemen? Doubt. Doubt is the devil's oldest snare. Doubt has afflicted many of God's people. Can I tell you something, ladies and gentlemen? Doubt leads to unbelief, and then doubt manifests itself in unbelief. Even after his resurrection, in Matthew chapter 28, it's an incredible verse. Matthew 28, 17, it says, uh, talking about his disciples, 16 says, And then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. He told them to wait there for him. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And then it says in the sister passage in Mark chapter uh, 16, verse 14, it says, And afterward he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at me and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen after he was risen. Listen to me. If you coddle your doubts long enough, they will produce unbelief in your life. But here's the good news. Not only is doubt the devil's oldest snare, and doubt has afflicted many of God's people, and doubt leads to unbelief, doubt is curable. Aren't you glad for that? I think about the, us living in, in the, the days of medicine. Uh, it's such a blessing. Uh, I tell you if, you, if there's something you and I take for granted, I'll guarantee you it's penicillin. There was a day not long ago, in the last century before somebody found penicillin in moldy bread, where there wasn't penicillin. You know why a great many men died in the Pacific fighting for America? Was they didn't have quinine. There was no cure for what they had. I'm glad there's a cure for doubt, ladies and gentlemen. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have. Eternal life. God has given us a book so that we can know some things. Amen? But you know what you have to do if you go back to Luke chapter 21? It's those first two words of verse 14. You need to settle it. You need to settle it. You need to, listen to me, ladies and gentlemen, you need to just make up your mind about some things. Settle it, therefore, in your hearts. I'm going to give you, Lord willing, ten things this morning that you need to settle it. You just need to settle it. I'm kind of saying stop doubting, but you can use these verses when doubt comes back. Because doubt will come back around. The devil left Jesus for a season. And then he came back. So, number one this morning, you need to settle it. 
You need to make up your mind that the Bible is the Word of God. You need to make up your mind that that book that you hold in your lap is the Word of God. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 says, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God, verse 21, spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. God gave us this book through men, amen, but God is the author. He gave us this book. This is His Word. This isn't just another book. This, listen to me. And when I say we need to believe this is the Word of God, I also mean we need to read it like it was the only book that God ever wrote. We need to obey it like it was the only book that God ever wrote because it is. This book is the Word of God. And I'll take it a step further for our critics that are watching online, I believe the King James Bible is the preserved Word of God for the English-speaking world. Believe that with all my heart. Not changing, not using anything else here. Thank the Lord it's enshrined in our Constitution and bylaws. Take a 75% majority to overturn that. Hallelujah. Wisdom there. This, listen, this is the Word of God. This is God's word to man, revealing his son to us, revealing his plan of salvation, revealing heaven and hell, revealing everything we need to know is right here in his... Listen, make up your mind about it. This is the word of God. Secondly, you know what you need to make up your mind about? How many sinners do we have here today? <laughs> if you don't raise your hand, you're in trouble, amen? I'm going to look, look for you. Here's, here's what you need, to, you need to make up your mind about. Settle it. God loves you. God loves you. You say, but you don't know what I've done. I don't need to know what you've done. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. But God commendeth His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How do I know God loves me? Because He sent His Son to die for me. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, In this that was manifested the love of God toward us, because God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for us, the full payment for us. I know God loves me. I know God loves you. By the way, I'm so glad I'm not a Calvinist. Say some of you sitting right here. I don't even know what a Calvinist is. Good. There are people that think God loves some and doesn't love others. I'm going to tell you, every Calvinist whoever goes soul winning, brother Cole, and there's not many of them, but there are some. They got to stick their tongue firmly in their cheek when they tell somebody God loves you and Christ died for you because they're not quite sure if He did or not. I can tell you just by a simple reading of the Bible. God loves you no matter who you are. 
God loves you. You know what you need to do? You need to settle that. By the way, that doesn't, forgive me, that doesn't mean you can sin without impunity. Do whatever you want. No, it means he still loves you despite you. He died for you knowing every sin you'd ever commit. What love is that? Incredible love. Amazing love. Almighty love. You just need to settle it. God loves you. God loves you. The Bible's the word of God. Number three. I love this. God is willing and able to save you. You need to settle that. Listen to me. You need to settle that. God is willing and able to, to save you. Again, 2 Peter 3.9 tells us this. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise. He's talking about when He's going to return. But His long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. See, what is that, Pastor? That is me coming to the knowledge that I'm a sinner and cannot save myself, repenting of my unbelief and turning to the Savior, to Jesus and Jesus alone. And by the way, the reason He's able to save me is because He was born of a virgin. We celebrate that at Christmas time. That's, that's not just some fable and folklore. That really happened. So that Jesus could be born without a sin nature. And he could live 33 and a half years on this earth and die on an old rugged cross. Not for his own sins, but for all of our sins. See, he's not only willing to save us, he's able to save us. You better make up your mind about that. Think about the Philippian jailer. That earthquake happened in Acts chapter 16 and... All the cells open and he's getting ready to fall on his sword because he knew he would be responsible for all those prisoners that got away. And Paul and Silas said, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. And he came in with a light trembling into the inner court of their cell. And he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Believe that Jesus died for you. Believe you're a sinner. Believe He loves you and He's willing and able to save you and call upon His name for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Settle it. Settle it. Uh, let me just add to that. God's uh, able, willing and able to save you and, and by the way, and keep you. And keep you saved. You know what you did to earn your salvation? Nothing. You know what you can do to keep your salvation? Nothing. Now, I happen to think that true salvation produces good works. And by the way, I don't happen to think that. The Bible says that. Salvation will manifest itself in good work. People that are truly born again will bear fruit. But I'll tell you this. That fruit bearing has nothing to do with earning your salvation. God's the one that keeps you saved. The same one that is willing and able to save you is the same one that keeps you. So settle it. Settle it. The Bible's the word of God. By the way, that first point, all the rest of the points spring from point number one. If you don't get point number one down, none, of this, none else matters. Because when I tell you God loves you and I quote the Bible, if you don't believe this is the word of God, then it doesn't really matter. The Bible is the Word of God. God loves you. 
God is able and willing to save you and keep you. This one we got in our Sunday school class. You settle it. God doesn't change. God doesn't change. Malachi 3.6 says, I am the Lord, I change not. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights, in whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. And by the way, how we know Jesus Christ is God is because He doesn't change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13 and 8 says, By the way, such a blessing. Because God doesn't change, you can count on what He says. Settle that. Settle that. God doesn't change. So I need to pay attention to what He says. God doesn't change. God is able, willing to save you and keep you. God loves you. The Bible is the Word of God. Oh, I love this. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, you need to settle this. You can be clean before God. You don't have to raise your hand and you don't have to say amen. How many of us have ever felt dirty in the sight of God? I sure have as a sinner. I sure have. And I've talked to people before and said, God could never forgive me. I remember dealing with a man about his soul and he began to tell me that he was a sniper in the Vietnam War. He's gone now. He, he passed away. But he, he told me, Brother Lolly, how many men he had put in his crosshairs and taken their life. And I tried to assure him that war is, is such a different circumstance, but he just he, he wouldn't have it. He wouldn't have it. He said, I'm just, I'm just so unclean. I'm so dirty before God. And I was so glad I could take him to 1 John. It says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we make him a liar and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, when you, get, when you trust Christ as your Savior, he forgives you of all your sins, but you still walk around in this fleshly body, don't you? The mind still drifts. And all God's people said. And we still need cleansing. And praise God, the blood of Jesus Christ can keep us clean as we walk about this earth. You need to settle that. That you can be clean before God. Now, by the way, I also recommend you keep short accounts with God. It's not just once a year I'm going to confess my sins to God. It ought to be every day. You want to stay clean before God. But you need to settle it. Settle it. Make up your mind about it. You can be clean before God. It's hard for us to think about that. Because, forgive me, I know me. And I know the thoughts I battle with. I mean, I can really be clean before God if the Word of God is true, and it is. And if God changes not, and He doesn't, He said, if you confess your sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can be clean before God. How about this, number six? Settle this. God wants to have a relationship with you. You know, I, I was giving the devotional to my boys this week, and uh, we're in Proverbs, and 
came to that verse in Proverbs 16, 4, that the, the Lord hath made all things for himself, even the wicked for the day of wrath. And again, Calvinists take that verse and pervert it. It's, it's not meaning that God hath created the wicked for the day of wrath. It just means he'll use them. If they won't trust him, he'll still use them. And many times he uses wicked people in our lives. Uh, it's just an amazing thing. But before that, it says that he created all things for himself. You know why God created you? Because he wants to have a relationship with you. And by the way, how do we have that relationship? It starts with receiving him as Savior. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them which believe on his name. John 1.12 tells us. But then, how, how, how do we have that relationship? I'll tell you how we have it. We listen to him when we read his word. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And we talk to him in prayer. God, listen to me. You have things that are bothering you? Your father wants to hear from you about it. Oh, he already knows it. Yes, he does already know it. We understand he's omniscient. But he told us, let your requests be made known unto God. Philippians 4, 6. 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all our care upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. We have fathers in the room. We have mothers in the room. Some of you have adult children. It is a joy to your heart when you hear from them. When you get to spend time with them. Some of the most precious times. I think about yesterday we had Mr. Perry's uh, service over at the Hampton Funeral Home. And they talked, about, they talked about Saturdays with Dad in Michigan football. Now all you Sparty fans, just smile for a second, okay? You know what I'm talking about. Just getting together with your people. Enjoying this, uh, a fall Saturday together. It's the fellowship. Listen to me. God wants to fellowship with you. Forgive me. He wants you to talk to him. He wants to talk to you. Settle it. Settle it. This is not just some abstract concept of God loves the world. God loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you individually. He has a will for your life. You. The Bible is the word of God. Settle it. God loves you. Settle it. God is able and willing to save you and keep you. Settle it. God doesn't change. Settle it. You can be clean before God. Settle it. God wants to have a relationship with you. Settle it. Hey, here's an easy one. This is a Sunday morning crowd. We'll find out tonight. God wants you in church. Amen. Settle it. Settle. I, people argue, forgive me, they're, they're, and, and there's Christians that argue about whether God wants you in church. Listen, this is what the Bible says. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. It says, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works, <clears throat> not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. And I always think, Brother Stark, that crowd that is always barking about church is the manner of some. It's the sum. The sum of that sum is, oh, gee, you can go to church whenever you want. <clears throat> the Bible tells us that we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. You just need to settle it. God wants you in church. We understand when you're sick. We have shut-ins that watch us online. Praise God for that. 
I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, if you're going to be in church when God wants you to be, you're going to have to settle it that God wants you there. <clears throat> you're just going to have to settle it. Settle it that God wants you in church. Here's another one. This one is... Uh, <laughs> I have to... Mrs. Swaffer gave me some tomatoes today, and I, I wrote on the side of the bag, not for Ken Merklinger during the service while pastor's preaching. <laughs> uh, God wants you to be a giver, Christian. God wants you to be, oh, you're just saying that because you're the pastor. There is truth in that. I'm saying that because I'm the pastor, and I want you to give a good account before God one day. And I'm saying it because it's true and God's going to hold me accountable for saying it or not saying it. Here's what the Bible says. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruit of all thine increase. Proverbs 3 verse 9. Then later in the New Testament or in the Old Testament, he would say, talking about the tithe in Malachi chapter 3 verse 10, he said, prove me. He said, give, give that tithe and prove me and see if I will not pour you out a blessing from heaven. He's, he's giving an incentive to giving. In the New Testament, he would say in 1 Corinthians 16 too, when you're gathered together on the Lord's day to bring the offerings. And then he would say in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 and 7, he said, if you sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. If you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly every man according as he purposeth in his heart for god loveth a cheerful giver and then he would say in luke chapter 6 verse 38 jesus himself said give and it shall be given unto you ladies and gentlemen if if you were at our church business meeting a couple weeks ago looking at the missions giving it will cross your eyes when you look at how much, forgive me, ladies and gentlemen, not just our regular uh, quarterly giving, but you look at how much we gave away last quarter. And I can't remember the exact figures. I think we started with 26000 in the missions account, gave away a ton, and ended up with 32000 Now, you figure that out, Miss Mary. I haven't been able to figure it out. I, try, I stopped trying and just keep giving. You know why you should give? Because this is what the Bible says. Freely you have received, freely give. Everything you have is from God. And sometimes when you talk about giving, you think only money. Well, money is a part of it, but it really is time, talents, and treasure. The, the greatest thing you can give to anybody, including the Lord, is your time. Because that's a very finite thing, and you can't ever get it back. But then you can give God your talents. You know, we talked about our gospel sing. By the way, I'm, I'm glad for people that can, forgive me, sing like Miss Desiree. I'm glad for people that can sing like you. But I'm also glad for people that just get up and do it because they love the Lord. Talents. Some of you, I think about the talents you have with your hands. Yesterday, Miss Kim, we got done with Mr. Perry's funeral. And my wife and I, my wife hasn't been able to go out much this week. She's just been having a rough health week. And I said, are you going to go to the funeral? She said, okay, yeah, I want to. And uh, then afterwards, we we're going to go to the meal. And, and she said, I'd rather, if you could just take me home. And uh, I got ready to start my truck. 
That was discouraging. It's been kind of giving me fits the past week. I, uh, the funeral director came over, put jumper cables on it. I drove right over to Deke's, and he was there. He was out. And if you don't know Deke Wetzel, he's a blessing. He's a, uses, he's a master mechanic and uses his talents to help God's people. And uh, my goodness, he put a new battery in for me. And I was, I was convinced that not only was I not handy before that, but you actually had to be a master mechanic to get the battery out of that vehicle. Amen. <laughs> so what did he do? He used his talents to be a blessing. I think about others, Miss Kim, I'm looking at you and I'm seeing those old VBS sets that you painted all those years ago. And we still use them. And others too, I know there are others. Others of you. Just settle it in your heart, God wants you to be a giver. Mrs. Lawley, keep teaching that class. You're giving. You're giving so much out to those little kids. And by the way, when the missionaries come through, it's okay to give. We always have something for them from us corporately, but individually. Brother Pledger will be with us tonight. You'll enjoy him. I, by the way, it so blesses me as we see these missionaries come through, and then Miss Kim gives me this envelope, and I'm like, wow, that's what we gave the missionary, in addition to all our other giving. Just settle it in your heart. God wants you to be a giver. It doesn't matter if you, again, going back to the context, it doesn't matter if you're the widow or the rich person. Everybody can give. Settle it. God wants you to be a giver. Hey, here's an important one. I've got two more. Settle it. God wants you to share your faith. Settle it. God wants you to share your faith. God wants you to share Christ with somebody else. You say, but I'm not real good at it, Pastor. That's okay. Lots of us are not real good at it. But that doesn't excuse us from doing it. I'm telling you, right out there, as you walk right by the water fountain, you'll see tons of these. Anybody can say, Brother Hillman, you've been going to the car shows with the, the classic Sunday flyers. Can I, can I give you an invitation to our church? It tells you how you can know for sure you're going to heaven right there on the back. Say, what are you doing? You're sharing your faith. 29 years ago, somebody shared one of these with me. Didn't walk me down the Romans road. Just said, read this when you get a chance. It'll tell you how to go to heaven. And it sat on my shelf for a little while, Brother Anderson. Sat, sat there for a little bit. And I read it. God took that seed that was planted. Listen, God never intended us to hide our light under a bushel. Think we, how many Bibles yesterday, Brother Cole? About 80 Bibles we gave away yesterday. Three Bibles with a gospel track in each one. God wants us to share our faith. You say, I don't know how. By the way, you can take a gospel track and it'll tell you how. Tell you exactly what you need to know right there in the gospel track. We've all sinned. We all owe the payment for sin. Jesus has made the payment for our sin. You can know for sure you're on your way to heaven. Right there. Just set, you, listen, settle it in your heart. Don't go for weeks and months and years without sharing your faith. You'll get cold. You'll get indifferent. You'll get to doubting that you're really saved. Settle it. God wants you to share your faith and be a witness. And then lastly, I'll go through them all again here. 
Settle it that the Bible is the word of God. Settle it that God loves you. Settle it that God is able and willing to save you and keep you. Settle it that God doesn't change. Settle it that you can be clean before God. Settle it that God wants to have a relationship with you. Settle it God wants you to be in church. Settle it that God wants you to be a giver. Settle it that God wants you to share your faith. And lastly, settle it that God can be trusted and He is worth serving. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. When Jesus had an interview with the rich young ruler, he's the only one to come and sit at the feet of Jesus and go away worse than when he came. Covetousness had bound him. But then Peter, in a, that's why I love Peter. You know, one of the greatest pieces of advice I ever heard was a preacher who said, don't say what you think when you first think it. It's a great piece of advice. It really is. But Peter's the opposite. Peter says what he thinks before he thought it. Amen. <laughs> And consequently, many times, Peter stuck his foot in his mouth. And this was a time after Jesus had dealt with the rich young ruler that Peter said, and he said, how hardly shall men enter, a rich man enter into the kingdom of God? And then Peter said, what about us? We've left all, forsaken all, and followed thee. Remember what Jesus said to him in Mark chapter 10, verses 28 through 30? Jesus said, there's no one that hath left houses or lands or father or mother for my sake in the Gospels that shall not receive a reward in this life and in life eternal. I'm going to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. The devil always wants to keep us from surrendering. He always wants to tell us that God is a hard master. I am here to tell you, settle it. He's worth serving. See, the devil always gives you his best first. And then the hook. God saves the best for last. And says, I'm worth serving. I'm worth serving. I'm going to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. You just got to settle it in your heart. He's worth serving. He can be trusted. I remember those early days of faith when God was working in my heart so evidently for ministry. And I did not know, want, I, I, I did not know why. And I, truthfully, I didn't want to. I would have been much more, if I was in this church, before all this, I'd have been much more comfortable back there in the sound booth. Someplace in the back, probably walking around, you know, doing around with the ERT or whatever. Just someplace out of the limelight. That's, this, this is the last thing I wanted was 300 eyes set on me every service. It reminds me so much of the times when our children were little and we would go up to Shady Green Pastures 
And they have the same slide there that's been there for like 15 years. And Brother Stark, I would stand at the bottom of the slide and Eric was little and Luke was little and Katia was little and they've all gotten bigger, of course, but I would stand there at the bottom of the slide and they, Brother Hutchins, they hadn't gone down yet and they were a little scared. But they, got, they got up to the top and it's not a huge slide, but when you're three years old, it's big. And they get all the way up to the top and then they get scared and I say, it's okay. Daddy will catch you. You can trust that. You can trust that. You know what? You can trust that. You can trust Abba Father. Where God guides, God provides. He obligates himself to the care of his children. Lean not on thine own understanding. You know what that is? That's when your understanding and the understanding of this book disagree. Don't lean on your understanding. Lean on God's understanding. Ladies and gentlemen, doubt's going to come. Settle it. You know when the time to make a decision is? Before the decision comes. Daniel purposed in his heart that he wouldn't defile himself. Hey, you know Joseph, when Potiphar's wife came, you know why Joseph had already made a decision he wasn't going to defile himself with her. Settle it, therefore, in your hearts. Settle it. Father, we love you. Thank you.